journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov, and yes, I am Adol Kazilski, and I hope you're ready to take a trip with me down into our Bible, into the book that has always kept us, has guided us, has... Um, Basically been our, our compass in life and, uh, today we are starting a new Pasha. We've just finished up the Pasha of Vayera and today we are beginning the fourth Pasha of the Torah, the fourth, um, division in the book of Genesis called Chayesara and it begins, um, with chapter 23 of Genesis for any of you who are following me. It's chapter 23 verse 1. And the name of, uh, this, of this parsha is called Chayesara. Now the way that we name our parashiyot is that it's the first significant names um, of the first verse of the parsha. So the first three words are Vayihiyu Chayesara and, and it was that the life of Sarah. Um, and so therefore we call the parsha Chayesara. Now, um, we are zooming back now into what happened to Sarah whilst and after Abraham and Yitzchak went to the Arcadia. If you recall, for those following uh, the podcast of the show, we finished up where uh, we arrived at the pinnacle of Abraham, um, lifting up his hand, about to slaughter his son Yitzchak, which of course he didn't, and afterwards he takes his son Yitzchak, sends him off to the yeshiva of Shein Ever, and he returns home with the two boys, or the two men, Eliezer and Yishmael. Now, we now zoom, kind of, and move back to find out what happened to Yitzchak's mother, what happened to her while all of this was happening. And interestingly, we're not told in the verses themselves um, they're only alluded, and that is why when I'm teaching uh, Chumash and uh, sharing all the Torah's wisdom with you, I use Midrash. Midrash is basically the, the, the stories behind the stories. It fattens up and it gives a bigger perspective of what we are really learning. So the first verse um, says, the, says the following, and we are going to dissect it, and then we'll understand a little bit more about Sarah. Vayihiyu chayei Sarah, and it was that the life of Sarah was mea shana, a hundred years, ve'esrim shana, and twenty years, ve'sheva shanim, and seven years, shnei chayei Sarah, these were the life of, these were the years of Sarah's life. Now, straight away, you know, just reading the verses, you can ask the question, what is going on here? Who cares about the life of how long Sarah lived? And why are you repeating yourself? Because it says, Vayihiyu chaye Sarah. And the life of Sarah was 127 years. And it ends. These were chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. Why the emphasis? And why are you telling us that now? Because we are told that in fact this verse is telling us that Sarah passed away at 127 years old. Why are we told that Sarah passed away at 127 in such a strange, strange matter? Surely, 
Okay, um, one would look at this and say, and Sarah died, and she was 127 years old. We have this really uh, convoluted way of talking about Sarah's death, and in fact, the word death is actually not mentioned. It talks about the life of Sarah. So let's flesh up the story somewhat, and let's understand it more from the Midrash's perspective, and then we will be able to come back to the verse and understand it further. We're told, why did Sarah die? And the answer given is that the Akedah, the, the so-called sacrificing of Yitzchak, actually was the cause of Sarah's death. Um, how did this all happen? So if you recall from our story about the Satan, about the angel that allows us to have free choice, remember that he attacked Abraham and then he further then went and attacked Yitzchak as they were ascending the mountain in order to go and be sacrificed. And both of them managed to resist the Satan and say that nevertheless, with all the excuses that he's giving, they're not going to listen to him. They're going to fulfill God's command. Very frustrated um, that he got nowhere in his efforts to persuade Abraham and Yitzchak um, because neither of them would pay attention to his words. The Satan now goes and he confronts Sarah. Now, how did he confront Sarah? We're told that he disguised himself as an old man riding on a camel. And he goes to Sarah. Where was Sarah? Sarah had left Hebron and had gone to Beersheba. And she was waiting for Abraham and Beersheba. He says to her, as the old man on the camel, don't you realize what happened to you? Your husband took your precious son. He built an altar he bound his hands at his feet, and he's offered him as a human sacrifice. Yitzchak screamed, and he pleaded for mercy, but Abraham had no mercy. And we're told, the Midrash says, that when Sarah heard this from this old man on the camel, she cried out in a bitter voice, banging her head on a wall, so great was the misery. And so what did she do when she heard this news? She wandered through the hill country towards Hebron, and she was stopping everybody she met and, and she encountered to ask them, had they seen Abraham and Yitzchak? And she also dispatched servants to the academy, to the yeshiva of Shem and Aver, and to other places to see if they could find him. When Sarah arrives in Hebron, um, still no sign of her husband and her child. She seeks out three giants who lived there. There were three giants by the name of Achiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. And she asks them if they have seen an old man and a younger man on one of the mountains. The young, the, the, they replied, yes, we saw an old man and a younger man on one of the mountains. The young man was bound hand and foot. There was an old man who had a knife in his hand, but we saw nothing further because a cloud covered the mountain and we could see no more. And we're told then that Sarah was beside herself with grief and at that moment the Satan came and appeared in a different disguise and he asked her, why are you weeping so bitterly? And she told him what the giants had told her. And the Satan replied, don't you believe that old man, referring to him in his old disguise, the man on the camel, he's a known liar, I saw Yitzhak alive and well. And when she heard that this guy said that Yitzhak was alive and well, the shock was just too much for her, 
and she died. She passed away. So this is really what, um, what was, 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 was happening. And you could just imagine the state of Sarah, the state of how she was feeling, the anxiety. Um, we know that one thing we didn't hear it from our mother, Sarah, um, or Jewish woman, is this anxiety and this need to protect our children and to know where they are. She didn't have WhatsApp. She couldn't, you know, call Abraham on his cell. She couldn't, you know, rely on anything like that. You could just ma- imagine her anguish and her distress at first a hearing that um, he had died and that he was killed and then the next minute that he in fact was alive. So it was pretty much um, a mess and um, the shock eventually killed her and she passed away. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and when we get back we're going to understand why um, this should actually have killed her and was it a really a fair thing to happen. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back and we are studying the Pasha of Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah. And uh, as always, I welcome your comments, any questions that you have or anything that you would like to share. Our SMS is 34519. Our telegram is 061-895-1019. Don't be shy. Let's have a conversation. So we just learned before the break that the Satan came. First, he gave uh, Sarah a skrk. He told her, listen, your son has died. Your son, your your um, fa- your husband, Abraham, was about to kill him. Um, and then um, she asks the giants. The giants say, yes, we saw that. We didn't really see if she killed him. And then the Satan comes back. Says, no, 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 he's alive. All of this was way too much for a 127-year-old. And so she dies in Hebron. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, okay, we understand now the circumstances as to why she was shocked. Uh, why, what is the Torah teaching us by describing the death of Sarah by calling it Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah? So the first thing um, that it's coming to teach us, because it seems redundant, the beginning and the end, they both say the same thing in the verse, in the first verse. Um, we're told that the Torah is coming to teach us that Sarah was not meant to live longer than this in any event. That one shouldn't think that she died only because of her shock at hearing the Satan's word. Actually, she has been destined to live this number of years and no more. And that's exactly what it is. Um, there's a very interesting story uh, that's related. And this is about King David the first Jewish king of Israel, we know that firstly uh, he was destined not to live at all. He was supposed to be born and die a few few uh, moments later or a few minutes later. And Adam HaRishon, Adam, the first man, saw the greatness of the soul of King David and um, understood that if he was given the chance to live, he actually would be able to give a tremendous amount to the Jewish people and to the world at large. And so what Adam did, he had a destined, designated time of a thousand years to live. He cut off 70 years and he gave them to David HaMelech, to King David. So King David lived for 70 years 
and um, Adam Harisho lived for 930 years instead of his allotted 1,000 years. And uh, we are very grateful for that beautiful and kind gesture from Adam Arishon because from King David we get the book of Psalms and we get a lot of um, of other positive things that David gave. Now, King David knew that uh, he was destined to only live for 70 years and we are told that he was questioning God. He tried to ask God, and this is found in Psalm 39 verse 5, he said to God, O oh God, let me know my end. What is the measure of my days? He wanted to find out um, how long he would live exactly to the, to the exact point, to which God replied, I have long ago decreed that no human being shall know when he shall die, but I'll tell you one thing. You will die on Shabbat. You'll die on the Sabbath. So King David replied, I would rather die on a Sunday. Then people would be able to honor me and eulogize me. If I die on Shabbat, people will not be allowed to touch my body. Why? Um, just This is not what David said, but why can you not touch a body? A body becomes mukta. You cannot move it when somebody passes away. He says, I will have to be buried immediately then, right after Shabbat, without a eulogy. So he asks God, okay, I understand, I'm going to die on a Shabbat. Can you, can you maybe postpone it? And can you let me rather die on a Sunday? To which God replies, it is impossible for Sunday. It is already, it will already be time for your son, King Shlomo, to be king. One rain, R-E-I-G-N, one rain cannot even take a hand's breath from another. Meaning, like, when your time is up, your time is up, and King Shlomo um, will need to start raining, and you can't postpone things that are going to happen in the future just because you want to die later. So King David replies, well, then let me die earlier. Let it be on Friday before Shabbat. To which God replies, that's impossible, for a day in your courtyards is better than a thousand. If you go look in Psalms, that's the quote from Tehillim, chapter 84, verse 11. Meaning, what was he saying? I'd rather have you study Torah for one more additional day than have a thousand sacrifices that Shlomo will offer when he builds the holy temple. So basically what God was telling him was that when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. There's no negotiations of can, can I die a little bit earlier or can I die a little bit later? It's inconvenient or whatnot. Everybody gets a designated amount of time to live and that's what it is. And I just want to finish off the Midrash which is quite fascinating what actually happens to King David. Okay, so he's aware that he's going to die on Shabbat. So um, what he does is that he did. He, he was a big, great Torah scholar. He would study Torah day and night. But what he started doing was that on Shabbat, he began to do so for 24 hours without any interruption whatsoever. And when the angel of death approached, he couldn't touch him because his mouth was constantly uttering Torah. And I'm going to share with you a another small story afterwards um, just uh, to illustrate this. So the angel of death can't touch David Amelech because his mouth never stopped uttering words of Torah. So the angel of death didn't know what to do. If this guy's going to carry on saying the words of Torah for the entire 24 hours, 
he'll never find an opportunity to, uh, to, 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 to grab his soul. So the angel of death decided something very cunning. He went out into the courtyard behind the palace and he started to shake the trees violently. Still reciting words of Torah by heart, David heard the noise, so he got up to see what was wrong. And there was this tree rattling, 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 and so he decided to take a ladder and climb up to investigate. But what had Satan done? We're told that he had loosened one of the ladder's rungs, and it fell out under his weight. David stopped reciting words of Torah for that moment, and in an instant, his soul was plucked, and he passed away. A very, very interesting thing, and it says the same thing happened to Sarah. She had, in fact, finished up her time on earth. That's the first thing, and I think that that's something very important to emphasize, because we are... We are, we, we, we are sitting under a COVID strain. And I think that one of the greatest things that is happening with people is that there's not only fear and anxiety, but that there is a fear of death. Um, I'm, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not, you know, a professional, but I think that one of, of the reasons for our fear is that we are basically facing our mortality during this time. And I think one of the comforting things to understand and to know, because everybody that you land up speaking to, oh, I certainly know that this from my experience, and I'm sure um, it is yours. And again, please comment, 34519-061-895-1019, if you agree or disagree with me. But my experience is, is that whenever you're speaking to people, we're trying to make sense of this COVID, of how to get around it, what to do best, etc., etc. And one of the drivers, it could be conscious or subconscious, is this need to ensure that we 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 live and that we we basically don't die. And every single day when you know you hear something about COVID, you kind of like get this this uh, frightening feeling, this overwhelming feeling, oh my goodness, what happens if God forbid it's me? Oh my God, what happens if, you know, if it's, if it's my time to go? This verse comes to teach us that we need to understand that our leaving of this world is predetermined. And it's not COVID that will take away our existence. It's not anything. It's God's will and desire. And He has many, many methods, many, many ways in which your soul will leave this world. And if it's not COVID, it will be something else. Sometimes you hear the most bizarre ways that people pass away. And sometimes, lots of times, it's from other illnesses. It's from all sorts of things, sometimes freak accidents. The bottom line is, is that you cannot go and blame the messenger for the death of the person. Um, but rather, from a Jewish point of view, one needs to understand and accept that it's the will of God and this is the time that the soul had to move to the next world. So it wasn't that anybody can say I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. If it wasn't for COVID, it wouldn't have happened or whatever excuse that you're going to give. And um, that is when we start finding excuses or rationalizations 
to explain the death of a loved one. Um, we are working in the realm of what we believe to be logic and um, in truth um, from a place of faith, a place of connection with God and understanding that souls, all of us, come into this world to do a certain rectification. And when we're done, we move on. There's that disconnect, that there's that lack of communication between our rational minds and our souls. So this verse actually comes to teach us that. That's the first thing that it's coming to teach us. Um, the other, the other thing is to come and teach us that when it comes to death and when it comes to a person finishing up their time on this planet, it is all interconnected to the way that we have, um, we, we, we have behaved, um, in this world. And, um, we are told in the Midrash that, that Sarah dying the way she did was in fact a midder connected midder. It was a, um, a punishment that fit the crime, so to speak. And I'm putting punishment and crime in inverted commas. Um, why? Because we're told that when it comes to saints, when it comes to tzaddikim, um, uh, comes to righteous people, God is very exacting. What was Sarah's crime? Her crime, and again, crime being in inverted commas, was to have laughed when she heard that she would have a son and then deny what she had said. So her punishment was to have the Satan deny what he said earlier and to die from the shock of hearing his denial. A very, very subtle way of looking out for that. Um, so that, that is, that, that is pretty interesting. The other thing is, is that, um, if we start looking at the verses, and this is something that I, I brought up, um, in the introduction, um, it doesn't mention, so to speak, the death of Sarah, but rather the life of Sarah. So why does it say that? So, from a Jewish point of view, um, we don't really die. And this is something, again, another perspective. Not only do, do, does our soul move on at its destined time. We only have a certain amount of uh, years on, 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 on the planet. But we don't die from a Jewish point of view. Why? Because the soul is immortal. The soul actually came from another world. And it, it got, um, embedded into a body that became who we are as people. And once the soul has finished, it continues journeying. So from a Jewish point of view, we speak about the life of Sarah, not the death of Sarah, because it wasn't the end of Sarah. It was that portion of her um, soul journey that we are focusing on. And the soul journey of, of which we are focusing on is 127 years. That's a very, very powerful, powerful lesson as well. Um, and I think a sense of comfort and consolation to people who are left behind mourning a loved one that there is no such thing as, as death um, in the way that we understand it, but rather that the soul has just moved on um, and is journeying um, further. In having done that, nevertheless, the soul is very much alive and is very much with us 
the soul is very much connected with the with the people that um, he or she had left behind, and in fact is more present in people's life than they were when they were physically here and constrained by a physical body. So that is the beginning of the explanation of saying the Yihyu Chaye Sarah and the life of Sarah was 127 years old. We're talking about her life. We are celebrating her life. We are celebrating those 127 years where she found herself on planet Earth and what she did um, and what she accomplished um, in this world. Very, very, very important. The second thing is, is that if you start looking at the words, they are somewhat strange. Because it says, how old was she? Mea Shana, a hundred years. Ve Esrim Shana, and twenty years. Ve Shevashanim, and seven years. So it's divided up. A hundred years, twenty years, seven years. It should have just said, Mea ve Esrim ve Shevashanim, a hundred and twenty-seven years. But it's divided up. That's the first question with the word Shana after each of the numbers. A hundred years, twenty years, seven years. And then if anybody's a little bit of a, gra- a grammatical fundi, um, you will see that there is also um, a strange grammatical change because mea is, is many, it's a hundred, and esrim is also plural, so to speak. It's, it's more than, than the, the, the standard numbers, so that's in many years. And when we describe the years there, we actually describe it with um, a singular year called Shana. So you have Maya, a hundred, which is a lot of years, Shana, as in one year. Then you have Esrim, which is also double ten already, and it says Shana, which is a single year. But when we come to the singular number seven, Sheva, instead of saying Shana, years, because that should also be singular, it says Shanem. It changes um to the singular when the numbers are, so to speak, in plural, and when the numbers are in plural, um, it says it in the singular. Why is that? So an incredible lesson that the Torah comes to teach us. It says, he who is small in this world will be great and honored in the world to come, and one who considers himself big um, will be small there. So therefore, in the case of 100 and in the case of 20, the Torah uses the singular. One thinks that these are large numbers, but they are actually small. Seven, on the other hand, takes the plural, because if one makes oneself small in this world, considering himself little and avoiding pride, then in the future he will be of great and, um, of great importance. So this teaches us the the middle, the um, personal characteristic of humility. That one must understand that you know again the the facade of this world is is that we work so hard to try and make ourselves so big and so important in this world, but in truth. This world is not what matters. It's the world that we're traveling to, as our rabbis teach us, that this world is merely a corridor to the next. And we are here just on a small journey. And that journey 
um, is, 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 a, is a prep for the world to come. So we need to learn that while we are gathering the hundreds and the twenties and what we believe is the big things, really at the end, um, they're not going to count. So we don't want to be big machas in this world and small pinny things in the world to come. We actually want to do it the other way around. We want to be small in this world, filled with humility and filled with, 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 um, a sense of knowing that we're just traveling through. And um, so that when we come to the world to come, we in fact get what is due to us, which we are told that one hour in the world to come is greater than all the pleasures of this entire world and vice versa. Um, so you can figure that out for yourself. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. And when we get back, we will continue dissecting verse one. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And we are discussing the life of Sarah. Why is it that the Torah is talking about life? Because what's important in this world is the way that we live, not the way that, uh, that, 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 the way we pass on, because we know very well that, uh, when we pass on, we don't take anything, um, that we have acquired in this world with us in terms of physical, uh, physical things. And I think that, um, I, I love sharing the story and I believe that it is a true story. But it, it well illustrates this point. There was once a very, very rich man, a Gvir, who owned a lot of property, who owned a lot of assets in his life. And he wrote out two wills before he passed away. The first will was one that he commanded his children that when he passes on, as soon as they realize that he has moved on, they should open up the first. And the second will should be one that would be opened 30 days after his passing. And so after much, uh, a great life and uh, much accomplishment, this old man passes on. And as soon as um, he, he, he's, he's pronounced that he's passed on and they've called the Hebrew Kedisha, the children remember the instruction of the father and they go and they open up the first will. And in that will was a very simple instruction. There wasn't too much to it other than he said, now as you open this up, I understand you are in a state of mourning and you have realized that I've passed on. Please do whatever it takes and tell the Hebrew Kedisha that I want to be buried with a pair of my favorite socks. And he told them which ones in the cupboard. Well, they were dedicated children, and so they um, they they ran to do their father's bidding. Went to his cupboard, fetched his pair of socks, and ran to the Hebrew Kedisha, who were dutifully preparing the body for burial. And they said, listen, this was our father's last will and testament. He told us to open up um, his his will. As soon as he passed away, please, can you put on this pair of socks? That was what he wanted. To which, sadly, the Hebrew Kedisha answered, I'm terribly sorry. Can't. So they said, no, but this is our father's will. Why can't you? And so they went and explained to him that there is a special process of preparing the body. It's called Tahara, purification, 
for burial. Um, and once they have washed and they have cleaned the body, they wrap the body in tachrichim, in shrouds, in specially made linen shrouds. Um, and this is how every single Jewish person is buried. Everybody is buried equally and in the same manner in a coffin that is exactly the same. We do not go and spend money um, on ornate coffins. Everybody gets the same wooden box. And therefore, they couldn't make an exception for this rich man. And sorry, he could not be buried in his socks. Well, there was quite a fight. Um, that occurred between the children of the deceased and the Hebra Kadesha in them on, in them trying to insist to the best of their abilities that, um, they what difference would socks make and, uh, the Hebra Kadesha did not bend on the rules and regulations and eventually, um, to much to the chagrin of the children, the father was buried without his socks. Well, they set the, the, the time that they needed, the period of Shiva, of, of, of the seven days of mourning, and then as anybody who has unfortunately been put in a place of mourning, you know, you mourn seven intense days, and then you move on to the Shloshim, into the 30-day period, um, where you can function more, but you're still in a pretty um, harsh state of mourning. Came the 30 days, the children knew that there was another will and testament. And once they finished the shloshim, they dutifully opened up the second uh, will. And in there, the father wrote, by the time you open up this will, you will have realized that I could not be buried with my socks. And this is a lesson to you, dear children. Now when it comes time to divvy up, to divide up my estate, that whilst you may be inheriting um, physical comfort and physical fortune, know that you can't even take even your socks with you. And this was, this is a very, very powerful lesson of understanding what our lives are about in this world. Um, we do not focus on death as something that is the end, but rather a process. Very interestingly, um, on, on, on another note, the Hebrew word for a cemetery is called Beit HaChayim, the house of life. So you can see very much from a Jewish perspective, we focus on life. What is the quality of your life? What are you doing to change the world in a way that you will be remembered? It is not about um, getting and uh, acquiring more and more houses and cars and clothes and shoes and money and honor and all of those things because at the end of the day, a death is the is is the common denominator. We are all going to live our lives out, and may we all live to 120 and live full lives. But we are all equalized at the end of this travel through life. So, what is it that we should be accomplishing? Well, the the things that are and and that 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 is beauty, that is money, that is worth something in the world to come is Torah and mitzvahs, and performing the the good deeds that God asks us to do in this world, um, and learning his Torah as you and I 
are learning now and for the past three quarters of an hour. That is what stands thus in good stead. And those things cannot be taken away from us. On the contrary, they um, are stacked up for us. And once we arrive in the world to come, those are the, the, the things that stand good when we go through our trial of how well we did in this world. So the Torah has an incredibly, I believe, empowering attitude towards life that we need to live life to the fullest. We need to take every single moment of life and use it positively. We need to take every single moment of life and use it in a productive manner. And productive is not about acquiring physical um, wealth on any level whatsoever or even getting intangible stuff like honor and, and et cetera, et cetera, because those things do not follow you into the world to come. What follows is only your good name, your saintlyhood, your ability to help another person in this world, your, your, your ability and your, your, uh, your, your participation in making this place a dwelling place for God. And how do we do all of that? We do all of that by following the 630 mitzvahs of the Torah. And those are all elucidated and available. We are learning about it right now. Um, so a tremendous amount that we actually learn from our foremother, Sarah. She lived a full life. She lived a saintly life. She lived a life dedicated to God. She lived out her allotted time. And it was now time for her to move on and to, to enjoy um, the fruits of her labor. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, I think that we are going to stop just at verse 1 because as we get into verse 2 of chapter 23, there's a lot more to say and I don't want to cut everybody off early. So let's just do a revision and a takeaway. And I think, again, um, it is very, uh, it, it's full of divine providence, Hashgacha Protis, that we are learning these psukim during the COVID-19 pandemic and that we are, in fact, on a subconscious level and maybe to some of us even on a conscious level, um, facing our mortality is that I think that one of the things, and I've said this a few times, I'm going to say it again, COVID-19 is the minister of education um, on a spiritual level. It's coming to educate us about a lot of stuff. And I think many, many um, of us are coming to realize that we need to change our priorities in life and we need to um, put effort into the things that are important in life. And they're not, they're not our car and our house and our clothes and our, our, our position in society, but rather they are soulful things of the relationships that we have with those who are close to us, the relationships that we are forging with the strangers amongst us with the relationship that has been sorely lacking with the one who created us. And this is how to live a fulfilled life. And very interestingly, many, many times, if you're looking at it from a spiritual perspective, you will see that you're yearning for something. You're wanting something more. You're wanting to feel more fulfilled. And um, what the world is saying, oh, you want to feel better. You want to feel more accepted. You want to... Just feel good about yourself. Well, then, you know, when you when you sell the Toyota Corolla and you buy the BMW or you, you, you finish your university education and you're called the doctor or whatever it is, 
you will feel better. The truth be said is that you don't because as soon as you satisfy the animal part of yourself, the part that, 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 that wants the, the physicality, you'll see that you will still remain hungry. And that is because your soul is hungry. So here is the challenge, particularly now that the Minister of Education, Mr. COVID-19, is, is teaching us in a very, very profound way. Look at your life and ask yourself, has it so far been a life worth living? Have you invested in the things that are most important? And what can you do different today onwards that will make your life a more fulfilling one, a more rich one, one that where you are connected to what is real in this world and what is real is the relationship with other souls and the relationship with God Almighty who created us all. On that note, I'll let you think about it and uh, I'll be back at the same time, same place next week. Have a fabulous, fabulous week ahead.